Hello there, this is Dixie Dixon, Nikon ambassador and fashion photographer, and you are listening to the Angry Millennial Podcast. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers. All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at clickgearclothingltd. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we're chatting with the CEO of Slot Mods USA, Dave Beatty. Dave, thanks for coming out. Thanks, Jose. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, quite an honor to say that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been great too because I know we, you know, we uh, we spoke a while back, um, you know, about uh, about what you're doing with slot mods and 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 listening to your story and checking out all the videos and stuff like that. And it's really an amazing story that we'll get into and and uh, one that kind of parallels uh both of what we do you know a love of cars and a love of um you know following your passions and stuff like that but let's let's kind of start from the beginning uh were you always creative um you know when is it that kind of the whole model building thing kind of started to interest you and that sort of thing well i've considered myself that i've always been creative but um you know as a child and coming from a family of 11 you know that we oh wow <laughs> we had to become creative because there's only so many toys that you can be bring in the house so um i would say that in an aspect i was creative but early on it was more in the musical uh, aspect oh, of okay. things um I, i'm i'm a drummer self-taught drummer and oh, always loved music cool. and in growing up um my older brother worked in the music business so I was uh, exposed to that side of it. So my original dream was to become a drummer and be mm-hmm. famous. But, um, uh, you know, that way, I mean, I always enjoyed, you know, art class in school and modeling and things like that. So mm-hmm. uh, the answer would be yes. Nice. That's awesome. And, you know, it's funny. You should you should definitely check out even an episode with the guy, uh, Ken Rabo, uh, that went up recently. And he's actually, he was a professional jazz drummer from from uh, Canada so when he turned pro at like 16 and and would travel and play the jazz clubs like six nights a week and stuff like that so oh, I think you definitely cool. find that pretty yeah pretty interesting so um that's awesome so like you said you started out having a love of music you're one of 11 that's intense <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> a, tw- a, a twin <laughs> as well oh wow look at that so, yeah. uh, with regards to, you know, how Islamas came about was, was like, was racing always a big part of your life as well? Uh, uh, I would say, uh, later on about the age of 11, my brother Leo started working for a McLaren racing team, um, oh, wow. during the Can-Am, uh, era 70, 71. 
And um, so that kind of opened me up more to racing beyond watching the Indy 500, you know, know, as we all did when we were young. Um, So in having him, you know, bringing home one of the Can-Am cars on the back of a truck and and seeing that at such a young age. um, That's amazing. amazing. The crazy thing was, is we were more interested in in racing, riding the pit bikes that were also (laughs) along with it. And so um, we were, you know, I was turned on to racing more then and seeing the cars and Actually, um, he had brought home some of the tires that w- were used at the races, and we had it in our garage. We used to roll them around, and one day my dad's like, let's get all that crap out of here. And so I remember the day of throwing those away to the street, and now I wish I had them. Oh, so wow, yeah. yeah. That was kind of a crazy thing. But from then on, you know, because he worked for a couple seasons with them, and, you know, it just kind of amped up us following the racing. Um mm-hmm you know, indie series racing. And, and then, you know, started watching NASCAR and just kind of like a, a normal teenage American kid who was into racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you said it, it's, it's, um, for me, it was, uh, me and my dad used to watch cart and IndyCar and NASCAR. And, and we used to live in, in Jersey near, um, uh, English town raceway. So we used to even go see all the, you know, the funny cars and the draft top fuel dragsters and, and people would laugh and, and we'd go to NASCAR events and, you know, we're two Puerto Ricans and they're always like, you guys <laughs> like NASCAR? And I'm like, dude, we're into anything that's fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as long as it's fast, it's fun to watch, you know? And nowadays, you know, it's F1 and everything else, but, um, you know, but that's it, great, you know? And, and so you were, like you said, you were one of, uh, so many. And what's really interesting is I already can see you basically had an amazing network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. your, your immediate family the amount of things that your your siblings got into and, and as for careers and that sort of thing that's all amazing um yeah. so yeah i mean were you ever in a train did that ever come up when you were a kid or not really? um not really we were pretty destructive so of course having a, a train set running around on the floor wouldn't have really right. lasted too long but right. my own my older brothers they had the slot cars running through the house oh, okay the 124 scale so when I was younger, we would see that kind of going on and then they'd let us race, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But never really, there really wasn't room for the trains. And, um, right. you know, and, and a fact to know is that I grew up mm, 10 miles from the Lionel train factory here in. No, shit. wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's 10 minutes from my studio here. Oh, so wow. All these trains that went all over the world from Lionel train were built here. Along with just half a mile down the road, we have the old model products company that used to make the box models that went all over America, the model kits, plastic model kits. So it's kind of funny that Slot mm-hmm. Mods is kind of positioned between these two uh, iconic model companies, train builders thing. So it's kind of in the blood, I guess. So it's, yeah. it's cool. It's, it's, it's really cool. Cause That's neat. People will stop by. Will say, "Hey, man, you know, I know older gentlemen will say, hey, do you remember yeah. this?'" And yes, I do. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so that's it's really neat. Yeah, that's cool. That's, that's cool. cool. That's cool. So, so uh, uh, is it uh, true, true that you started slot mods on a ten thousand dollar loan from a childhood friend? And if so, can I meet this friend? <laughs> yeah no he's a really great guy and uh uh i wish i had more and more friends like him but um, <laughs> yeah, right. the uh the way it played out that part of it played out was mm-hmm. that i had already started the company um in my own in my basement at home 
and was getting ramped up. And then the, an opportunity had come about to go to Pebble Beach. And mm. uh, the way the money comes in is that I, you know, I said, look, I have this opportunity to go to Pebble Beach. They've invited me out. Uh, I need to bring out a replica of the Pebble Beach Raceway, which we will auction off at the Gooding car auction. Mm-hmm. I, and I was like, I, I don't have any money to build a Trek on spec, on spec, I'm sorry. Um, and I said, you know, Hey, you know, can you loan me $10,000? And then they're guaranteeing me that it'll sell and I'll give you back, you know, your money. And which he mm-hmm. thought about it just for, you know, about two minutes and said, sure, no problem. You know, I believe in you. And, you know, the thing went out to Pebble Beach. Um, it ended up selling for 27000 Wow. Uh, I was naive and said I just wanted my money out of it and the rest of the funds could go towards the Pebble Beach, you know, fund, which, you know, does Pebble Beach really need money? I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I, I, I did that. I met some really great people. And um, that's where Jay Leno had befriended me. He had come in through the retro auto tent and that seeing the track and uh, you know, he's quite the car guy and was very mm-hmm. cool. And, you know, they asked me, Hey, do you mind if we do a segment with you? And I'm like, no, not at all. So that was my first time on Jay Leno's garage. And uh, since then Jay has befriended me. I've been out to his place for sausages and barbecues and just a really great guy and champion That's for amazing. what I do. Yeah. But to circle back, you know, it was very that money that my friend had lent me and he had believed in me and what I was doing when a lot of people weren't believing in what I was doing, um, really Mm -hmm. did have an impact on the business. So, uh, you know, I can say, yes, that, you know, the company was built on that 10,000 and that 10,000 allowed me to go to a place that really gave me the exposure that I needed. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you said it, I mean, apparently I would hope, I mean, obviously Pebble Beach, Pebble Beach, but I'd hope they gave you like a, a hallway with your name on it or something <laughs> for a seven for a seventeen thousand dollar donation on something you built. It uh, wasn't even like you know you just gave them a check. That's hysterical. But oh, I, I got um, an education out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, right? Lesson, uh, yeah. lesson learned, you know. Yeah. But um, I think that 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 to me is really interesting because what what's really neat about it is that you know. And we're gonna get into this. Is that uh, to me, especially, especially as like small, as business, small owners, business owners, there's a there's a l- always a little bit of that that one thing where you sit there and say, "I really think I need to go to this. I really think that you know this event or this conference or this whatever will help propel my business forward." And a lot of times it's when it doesn't on paper make any fucking sense that you go. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, you, you were able to go to this thing and suddenly, you know, make the inroads with your, with your company. And I mean, like you said, you, you got to meet Jay Leno, who's like a car right. guy's car guy. You know what I mean? That he's, he's the kind of guy that like you had said, from what I've heard from a lot of people, uh, is that he's a really down to earth nice guy, and if if you get along with him and have that mutual love of racing and cars, like you know, he's he's your best friend, and uh, and that's pretty pretty amazing. Um, but like we said, I mean, it was it was truly one of those events where you have to sit back and say, hey, listen, this this is kind of crazy, um, and you know, I, I can attest to that from the first expo we went to to launch this podcast was the same thing. I didn't have the money. 
I didn't have, you know, I was sitting there going like, I can't afford a plane ticket to Vegas or I can't afford to go to New York. And, and, but at the same time, I knew enough to know, you know what, this is what I have to do. Like I have to do this in order to really make this thing uh, viable and grow. And, and yeah, I mean, I think it's honestly when those, when those things come up and make you almost <laughs> nauseous, right? right? <laughs> when you're thinking about it is the best, the best kind of time to do it. So as it turns out, we both were, were pushing to follow our dreams uh, after rough times in a recession. And, you know, I know, this second time around for me, um, you know, because I, I had a tough time when I, I graduated the, I think the height of the recession and I had a rough time finding work, but then I was a single guy in my twenties. And then now we fast forward to, um, you know, this last year when I launched the show and everything. And for me, it was much different because now I had two kids and I was living in the suburbs and it was, you know, getting laid off. And so tell me what was that time like for you as a family man, you know, where, where you were sitting there saying like, you know, what was that kind of like in terms of your family dynamic? Because we all know it. My girlfriend is a huge proponent for the show and helps out right. a whole lot. But, you know, at the same time, there are days when she says to me, listen, let's look at this and other things a little more um, strategically and say, hey, listen, if it's not working out, let's try and pad it however we can, you know? So, so obviously I do lots of other things for money, um, but I'm able to make this still a, a big priority. But it's a, again, like you can imagine, it's that. It's a lot of communication um, with your significant other and really always making a point to check back in. But tell me, what was um, that like for you? At the that? time when I lost my job, um, I mean, I knew it was coming because I had been the company that I'd worked for, I'd been, I was brought in to thin the herd. So I had a little bit of a mm -hmm. into the looking glass of what's going, what was going to eventually be happening to me. Um, mm -hmm. But when the reality of it came quicker than I thought, um, it was a it was a it was a scary time. It was an exciting time, um, but it also I felt really free, um, and that sense of freedom mm -hmm. that uh, kind of flutters in through all the other emotions, kind of thing. Um, allowed me to think a little bit clearer on what I wanted to do. Uh, being 48 years old, no one was going to be hiring operations managers. There was no jobs to really be had here in the Detroit area. Um, so uh, prior to losing my job, I was, you know, kind of, you know, I was racing slot cars and was doing these little do-it-yourself kits for my friends, not selling them, you know, for the cost of the material. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was scary as hell. I mean, to be honest, um, in that, you know, that term to be honest, but you know, a lot of times people want to say, well, I was, it wasn't scary. I, you know, I was an ass kicker right out of the gate and stuff like that. Um, it, it was scary cause I had a three-year-old daughter and everything was on me. We had a little bit of savings and such yeah. like that, but, um, yeah, I had a severance package and, and so on and so on. But the reality was that was only going to last for so long. Uh, my wife and I sat down. She mm -hmm. was going back to school to become a doctor. Um, so that was kind of like uh, gave us a little bit of a like future thing, but it wasn't any kind of immediate income. Um, so mm -hmm. within, oh boy, within five months, I had landed uh, building a track. So, you know, I, it was kind of great because, it, it kind of came out of somebody hearing about slot mods and, and what I did through the through the hobbyist channel of Facebook early on at the time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like mm -hmm. I was in any magazines or anything. So I was, I was able to do 
a job. And I thought, well, you know what? I think there's other guys out there who will appreciate what I do. So I really mm-hmm. believed in it. And so that belief allowed me to squelch my fear because I just started living in daytime compartments. Um, and a lot of us, like yourself and mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, we can't, um, sometimes the money doesn't allow you to be living out three months ahead of you with a marketing campaign. And, you know, and I get all mm-hmm. the guys calling yeah. me from all the major magazines. Hey, Dave, sign on. All it is is 30 grand. It's like, you know what? Call me when you got a remnant or something. Ed. And, you know, we can talk then. <laughs> so early on as an entrepreneur, I just kind of looked at, okay, you know, for the month of June, this is my nut for my household. And every day I worked mm-hmm. to make sure that I lived in these kind of daytime compartments, but actually we're looking at the end of the month when all the bills were due. But, but then as things started going mm-hmm. on, I could forecast out further that I could breathe a little bit more, not, not necessarily relax, right. but I could start to work smarter um, as well as I was working very, very hard, but I, sometimes you don't, you don't work as smart as you should when you're working hard because right. you're trying to get that project right. out the door and, you know, you're, you're paying some people to come in and maybe, you know, it's just kind of, um, it was a learning lesson. Where, you know, where should I advertise and, you know, kind of doing that thing while in, in the meantime, um, still selling tracks within that first year, you know, there's, there's a couple tracks moving out the door, but to, to circle back to your main question, when I did lose my job, it was scary, but I knew that now I had the opportunity because there were no opportunities to try this. And if I failed, I could always go sell cars or something. I'm, I'm pretty personable, you know? Mm-hmm. So whatever it would take to take mm-hmm. care of my mm-hmm. family. And my wife sat down with me and said, David, look, you know, we could spend this money on schooling, but I believe in what you're doing. Um, I'm a pretty good salesman. <laughs> so she was, she was sold on it. Um, and you know, I can make, I can laugh nice. about it now, but at, you know, back then it was pretty intense. Um, right. so with the strength yeah, of my yeah, wife sure. and support of her and a few close friends allowed me to, you know, lay the groundwork, bedrock or whatever you want to call it, uh, for slot mods. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, cause you, you said it, I mean, it's, you know, looking back, you laugh at it, but at the same time, you knew it's it's not as easy. You know, it, when you're in it, it's it's never easy, and um, you know, it's it's hard. You know, and, and and luckily, I honestly think it's for a lot of people, it's those those people who support you, whether it was you know your friend, your your wife early on, um, they're the ones that really just kind of make things mm-hmm. viable. You know, um, so I know one thing that you mentioned is and then we're going to get into it. It's like really what you do with slot mod. So the amazing attention to detail simply sets your work apart from the others. And you focus on selling high end one of a kind pieces, as opposed to mass produced, like, you know, kind of subpar plastic models that you did end up kind of starting on, but they were always aimed to like simply get you hooked as a, as a, you know, slot car enthusiast. So, your work ethic and discipline honestly reminds me a lot of, of our past guest, Michael Paul Smith and his uh-huh. Elgin Park project. So he used to spend similar hours, you know, on perfecting little things that no one would ever notice. You know, like I remember when I went to go see his his space in, in, in Boston, he literally had little paint cans. I don't even know what scale they were, but they were literally as, as tiny as a, <laughs> a thimble. And they had like 
even he even made it so that the little drip markings along the outside of the can were there and even like the the top had like the little flathead screwdriver kind of marks where you prop it open like it was amazing but my question to you and maybe not i mean did you ever struggle justifying the hours you put into the first pieces or did the end product simply speak for itself and it was more a matter of putting it in front of the right um number one yeah michael paul smith it's funny he's the only guy that i still get flicker updates on on pictures <laughs> and i don't even know if people people know if flicker nice. still exists but uh i still yeah, get him and yeah, exactly he, he's just an incredible artist That's funny. um as far as justifying the hours you know for the pieces in the end product um in starting out i would i, I kind of set a parameter of what i was going to build um and then when mm-hmm. i would build it and, and it would come to fruition um, I never thought like, well, are they going to like it? Because my character and the way that I build things is that no matter what amount you pay me, a thousand, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, you're going to get more than your money's worth. Because number one, you're getting a part of mm-hmm. my heart and soul. And I'm going to be laying in bed at night mm-hmm. thinking about how can I make this unique? This person is giving me this opportunity to do what I do best. And also the people who work around me and, you know, they empower me to empower them. Um, so now when I build, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tracks and, uh, you know, early on, sure, I would build something and go, geez, I hope he likes it. And, you know, hope they find the value in it. But then after delivering a couple and these guys, you know, losing their fucking minds, I thought, OK, <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm on to the right thing. And then. Um, and in looking at in the art world of what how values go, and, and there is a cost to um, what right. I bring to the table in my company and my artists that work with me. Um, that now um, it's there. There is budgets that we work with them, but the budgets don't really uh, constrain what we're going to put into that footprint of the build. Um, you know, there mm-hmm. is a uh, you know brief t- chats with the client up front. Um, but then, you know, at the end of it, um, the, I, I don't worry about having to justify what I built for somebody and, and, and what they're, and what they're paying me. Right. If, did I answer your question, Jose? I right. want to make sure that. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. It's like a lot of, you know, the, the, the reasoning we ask is, I mean, you know, like any artists, right. For a sure. lot of artists. Um, they they literally don't make money until yeah. they're dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you sit there and say, "Well, I can I can show you. Like I can literally justify. You know, these are the hours. This is this is what you know, gets put into it. And then of course you have the artistic element of it that you say, "Wow, you know, it, it is worth more than than even you know what the cost could be. You know, um, and that sort of thing. And it, but for a lot of people starting out." You know what? When no matter what you are, whether a photographer or a painter or a writer, it's you know sometimes to 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 say to someone, well, listen, this is the hours that are put in it. This is the cost. Someone might go, well, that's great, but I just you know it's a little too rich for my blood or or whatever. And and that's where, like we said, maybe and I think you kind of did early on is realizing who your target market is. Like who is your your perfect customer? And then making sure you go after them. And that's really funny. So speaking of the right buyers, your second client, it was amazing hearing the story, was uh, Jim Farley, who was the uh, executive vice president of Ford Motor Co. And and the amazing 
like has an amazing story behind it, but perhaps more importantly, or most importantly, was that your personal story resonated with him so much that it stuck with him ever since. And, you know, as you can imagine, for people who don't know, um, you know, kind of tell that kind of story of how, how you came to, to talk with Jim. You're your second client. I loved hearing the, the meeting guys had and then kind of what came after that. And then we can sure. kind of um, With Jim, it was, it was really great because it was the early days of slot mods, you know, and the, the and, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of the dark days, you know, because it was early and it was, it was scary. <laughs> and I know, again, I make it sound humorous, but uh, to try to get back to that place, though, um, I had gone and taken um, some business cards and I put them at a place where a lot of the big guys in Detroit, the automotive guys and stuff, go to buy their diecast cars and their magazines. Um, and it's called AutoZone, but it's not the parts. It's company, you know, different thing. Right, different, different and um, I get this um, email that said, hey, man, I'm interested in Laguna Seca. Could you build it in my house? You know, and it said, you know, Jim Farley, you know, and I'm like, all right, who's Jim Farley? You know, and so I went and Googled who he was and I'm like, holy shit, you know, this guy's a heavy hitter, you know? (laughs) And so um, he said, hey, give me a call. Uh, So I I gave him a call and uh, I'm like, hey, Jim, David Beatty. And he said, hey, Dave, how you doing? And um, he was, uh, he was really nice to me on the phone. And he said, I'm thinking about doing this. Um, Could you come out to my house and, you know, let's talk. And so I drove out to his house, went downstairs, and he was such a down-to-earth guy, you know, and it's funny because I had a Volkswagen uh, rabbit at at the time. (laughs) I come pulling up, you know, and he opens the door (laughs) and he looks out and he goes, oh, hey, nice car. And I said, yeah, thanks, you know. And, you know, (laughs) I'm naive and I'm like, yeah, thanks, Jim. And, you know, I knew that he was with Ford and all, but, uh, um, you know, but he was with Toyota before that, you know, but um, even though I had a VW, so I came in and him and his wife, they were just very, very nice to me and um, you know, his, his wife, uh, Leah had asked me, you know, how's it going? And she kind of heard my story and they were, they were being very kind beyond a guy who would be coming to their house to provide them with the service. Um, right. and Jim just said, Hey, this right. is what I'm doing. And, uh, so we, we worked on the project. I ended up going out there a couple of times and, um, you know, just to make sure it was the right thing. And so I built this track from Laguna Seca. He loved it. And about, geez, it, it was about three months later, I got a call, an email, I'm sorry, from Ford Motor Company, uh, uh, one of the presidents of the uh, world trade um, show, the trade shows and that, that they do around the country. And he said, hey, um, we're looking to do a slot car track. And Jim Farley said, you're the number guy in the world to do this. There's no one like David Beatty. And I'm like, yeah, all right. You know, yeah. so I figured <laughs> I'm going to go down to Ford and, you know, meet with these people and, you know, sky's the limit. But that wasn't the case. I did go down there and had a great meeting and ended up building a track for the Ford Motor Company for the uh, International Auto Show out in um, L.A. back in 2010. So, you know, from doing a track in Jim's basement to him understanding my story, uh, you know, I did a, I did the reveal to, of his track um at a space that i was renting from a friend and it was like 100 degrees in there and you know his wife mm-hmm. and uh son jameson had come in and the D- detroit news was he was there and they you know did an article and about the reveal and jim and his thoughts and how he felt about me and my story and you know becoming an entrepreneur and you know forging this new business so 
Um, he was a really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it made me feel really good to hear this guy talk about me as I stood aside and as he was talking to this interviewer, it's like, wow, he, he's talking about me. And, you know, I'm busy with my head yeah. down and I'm not one to, um, you know, absorb those kinds of things. And when people are talking, you know, cause I always feel uh, I have so much to prove, but Jim instilled a lot of confidence into me. Then, and then going on to getting this other large Ford project, um, kind of, you know, solidify what I was capable of doing and also gave me that, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, um, the gusto, the, the credibility, you know, on a, oh, okay. on a very yeah, yeah. high level that here's Jim Farley, who's made oh, yeah. some really big decisions and who now in Ford Europe is making great strides, you know, at what they're doing over there. So that gave me some confidence. And with other buyers that were coming, who had come along from that knew of Jim and Jim's, you know, um, you know, his opinion of me carried some weight in getting those deals closed, I feel. Mm-hmm. No, so, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I mean, and, and like you said, what's really interesting is, is like you said, that, that your story resonated with him so much. And, and there's definitely a thing to be said about the people that when you're, when you're trying to do your own thing and the people who come into your life somewhat randomly or serendipitously, if you will, that, that, you can immediately, like you said, you immediately knew the second they you came to their house, the way they treated you, that it wasn't just like you were a plumber that they wanted to figure out they liked or wanted to use your services. It was, yeah. it was a lot more. And, you know, how important do you think your story has to be with regards to starting a company? I mean, I, I, I've been even thinking about writing articles about it because it's true. I mean, if you think about what anything we do, whether it's, um, let's just say pop culture, American Idol, Shark Tank, right? Whatever, like two things where one's about singing, one's about starting a business. But but in reality, when it comes down to it, the only thing they have in common is that they're, you have to have a good story, yeah. you know? And, and it's funny because I sit here and think every small business owner can attest to the inevitable rough waters, right? Like being your own boss and running your own company it fucking <laughs> sucks, but, but the, you know, the perks definitely make the, the, you know, the lows worth it. I mean, everyone can agree to that. So, I mean, in my head, I sit here and think everyone should have some sort of story. Right. But, but I, maybe that's not the case. Well, you know? I think in my case, um, the story, I mean, I wasn't opening up a, um, you know, a pizza franchise or, you know, buying into something like that. I mean, that that's that's a story in itself because who's ever doing that? They have their own story of how they got there. Um, but for in, with my story, you know, is, you know, uh, I always my brother and I have this running joke about how oh, I'm going to start a business pizza in a cup from the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin. I don't know if you remember that, but it was like pizza in a cup, and it was such a failure. So, and when when I would talk about slot mods, I'd say, "Yeah, you know, it's like pizza in a cup." But um, for yeah. me to uh, be able to say this, and I don't mean this in like a braggadocious way, but I really created this niche market that that ne- that word niche could also be like a bastard market because it is a difficult market. The phone doesn't mm. ring every day. You know, uh, the, the words worked mm-hmm. itself. I was really trying to do an every man's everyday track that a guy could afford. There just wasn't people buying them for $729. Yeah. 
you know, and I can remember leaning against my uh, washing machine downstairs when a guy came over and seen my track and said, can you do something like this for me? And I'm like, yeah, for like $4,000. And then he said, okay. And then I was like, oh, holy shit, four grand, you know? <laughs> so there was these increments of uh, the, the build and what was going on. But, you know, for my story, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I, I did go to, you know, for those who aren't familiar with my story, you know, I did lose my job. I did start this do-it-yourself track system that I took to a hobby shop and the guy gave me aisle six to set up in. And my daughter and I would go there on the weekends, a very humbling experience because guys who I knew who, when I was an executive, were like, hey, what are you doing here? And I'm like, uh, oh, hold on a second. I'm helping this guy find something over in aisle six to do with airplanes. You know, and I wasn't working there, but there was a lot of young people there. So I actually helped the owner out and uh, him and I became friends. But, you know, uh, he, you know I, he really did, I believe, give me this space because he felt sorry for me. And I, and I only sold one of those mm -hmm. tracks. And those were some hard days. And that was early on. And it's winter. And it's dark in Michigan in the winter. And so, you know, we can sit and laugh and, you know, I can make it sound like it was smooth sailing and these, these early on highlights. But before that Pebble Beach track, there was that do-it-yourself period of tracks I was trying to sell for $700. And I just kept, even though, you know, it was tough and the money was getting tight, you know, my wife still believed in me. But I was able to see that because I was charting my own course. Uh, I can go down this road. I can go down this road. What do I want to build? Wait a minute. You know, there's all these guys doing these um, train track stuff for wealthy people. I think this is where I want to go because I didn't grow up riding on the rails in the Motor City. I saw cars doing hole shots and I was around racing. And I, and I, I felt there was a whole generation that race lot cars that would appreciate what I had to offer in bringing this interactive world that they could race on, but then sit back and enjoy the modeling aspect of it. Now, one of the things mm -hmm. people don't know about that I'll share with you um, is that with slot mods, when I did my home track and I built it with displaced automotive workers, we kind of mm -hmm. bonded because we were mm -hmm. racing slot cars together and such. But in, um, in, in, in doing that, the gentleman who helped me and kind of my mentor uh, Jimmy Adderd, he had a wooden slot car track and that I just admired and said, I want to build one of these. And he said, well, if you're serious, I'll help you. So we started working on mine and five mm. other guys and we'd get every other weekend they'd come over. But during the other time I'd work on it myself. Well, Jimmy is a modeling master. I mean, he's just an incredible guy. Yeah, I, he's my ace reliever. I'll bring him in off the bench when, you know, we get in the 12th hour and, you know, we're six months into a build mm -hmm. and it's got to go out the door. He comes in and, <laughs> yeah, hey, dude, you know, he's a really cool dude. Um, well, he had taken ill when it got to the part about doing the, mm. the modeling, the scenic elements and all this stuff. And I, I really wasn't a modeler or scenic guy in this and that. So on my home track legends, which was 20 by 20, 170 feet long, I started developing my own skills wow. of carving foam and making trees and signs and how to make things look real on hay bales. So all that kind of stuff, that period that I was forced into um, learning the modeling aspect while I was still working allowed me once I lost my job to say, okay, I have these somewhat uh, skill set that I can do this. And it just, mm -hmm. I just kept building upon it. Um, so 
Right. Um, it wasn't like I was this modeler guy who said, hey, I'm going to do this business. I was this guy who had a little bit of knowledge about a, a lot of things, but I also had a strong marketing and sales background, but I wanted to get away from that. So with the creativity and how it progressed of, you know, what we build today is so is superior than what we did back then. But if you put two of our tracks together, they're both very charming and have their own uh, personalities and, and, right. and parts of me right. in there. So I can see I can see the maturity level through there. So, um, you know, I think that's something that, you know, I'm not trained in modeling. I didn't go to design school or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, I was right. a musician. Yeah. I'm just very creative. And I believe that, um, you know, anything is possible. And if I can't do it, I'll, there's somebody else who can, I can bring in to do it. Um, you know, Henry Ford mm -hmm. wasn't down on the line putting wheels on and, you know, yeah. it was just, you got it. You know, I'm a visionary. I'm very creative. So I felt they had a lot of skill, the spices of life and the, uh, being creative, uh, which mm -hmm. kind of adds to my story to bring it, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of went on there, but you know, yeah, no, that, that no, is my story. And the story still continues because even though I uh, currently have these mega tracks, we'll call that I, I produce and sell, mm -hmm. I'm trying to launch. And I just released about four months ago, another line of the track system that, you know, I'll say it's more affordable, but it's still aspirational because it's in the $12,000 range. But I'm still now trying to do something where I can get a track out the door in the $6,000 range. That's it's non scenic. But again, it's now I'm taking on another business venture trying to get to another market that says, okay, mm -hmm. I'm willing to spend $6,000 on. This killer track, it's flat. There's no scenery, but it's the nicest flat slot car track you'll ever race in your fucking life. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the quality is there. I spent over 30000 of my own yeah. money to in the design of it, and people will look at it, and the beauty of it is simplicity. People sometimes don't understand how much simplicity mm -hmm. costs because, yeah. you know, you're really oh, working yeah. on making it together. So that's kind of a, an animal that I'm wrestling with in the background now while I'm, you know, still doing my things for slot mods and, and doing pod, podcasts and, and TV shows and stuff. The business isn't on cruise control yet. Um, I'm, right, I'm, yeah. I, right, I still yeah, feel yeah. when, you know, I get, you know, my latest commissions, quarter million dollars. The next day I'm already thinking about what's the next thing I need to do because I feel like I'm starting over every day. And I think that's just that entrepreneurial mm -hmm. hunger kind of what can I do yep. to lay the footwork for down the road? I'm 54 years old. And I think there's still a lot of people out there who don't know who I am. You'd be surprised how many people, mm -hmm. you know? No, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you said it. it it's, it's, it's definitely, that's like you said, that's the entrepreneurial spirit. The people that, that sit there and say, I could literally off of one commission, rest of my laurels for like a year, six months. More, right. You know what I mean? But, but why, you know, like why that, that's just not me. So, um, you know, there's, I'm sure you've heard of the name like Elon yes. Musk and, and he has this amazing story when, when, you know, he was involved in PayPal and then when you know, Facebook went public, I mean, he, he had a huge influx of money. We're talking, you know, millions upon billions of dollars and literally he invested all of it in Tesla and SpaceX and all these other companies that at the time were not making money and were not viable. 
and he couldn't make rent like in two months later. He couldn't make right. rent. It's like, wait, what? It's like, dude, you just you just could have literally retired. And he's like, no, it's what's the fun in that? You know, and, and it's kind of that, like you said, you have to have that kind of um, you know, tenacity and and to say, like, yeah, like I I I've made a good living off of big, big one-off projects that make me lots of money, but I still am stubborn enough to say that. I want to find out a way to make what I want to start making viable. And, and like the only way you can do that, like, you know, is if you have a platform that you can take those risks, because who knows, maybe the, the $6,000 ones in the end, you say it's the same exact thing as the $700 ones. They just weren't viable, but Hey, you tried, right. you know, and if, if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. If it did, it did. It's great. You know? And, and another thing you've been lucky enough, that you've been able to cross over into like the commercial client world. So you have this amazing private clients that you, you know, you, you, you list and all that kind of stuff. What, what's it been like to build installations for Neiman Marcus and Audi and others? I mean, next we're going to, we're going to chat about the, the painting coconut short by Audi. But, but I think, I mean, if people look it up, I mean, that thing you put on display in Toronto, yes. right? Wasn't it in downtown Correct. Toronto for Audi was, was beautiful. And, um, we're going to get into that in a second, but tell me, you know, what, what, what was that kind of like that you started getting the attention of, of more commercial clients to kind of do stuff? I mean, again, essentially it's kind of, I guess you could say it started out with the Ford stuff for the, uh, international auto show, but, but now kind of, again, kind of going a little more, I mean, Neiman Marcus. Right. Thought of that, you know? <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, it was very exciting, um, doing, um, the Ford show, you know, that was a big deal for me. Um, but right after that, um, Samsung had tapped me to do this large installation. Um, and so, and that was for big money, but now I was working with agencies, but it, it was kind of like, I'm like, wow, okay. Everyone's getting kind of hip. They've seen that this interactive thing and that, you know, people at these shows like it. So, you know, th- there was Samsung and then, uh, geez, uh, with, becoming like the gift of the year for Rob report and then the gift of the year for um, road and track with the 69 Camaro that I converted into a slot car track. There was these things that were, were kind of happening, but in the corporate world, you know, I ended up doing a track for Toyota, the PGA, uh, um, actually three tracks mm-hmm. for Samsung. Um, you know, the, the Neiman wow. Marcus, you know, thing that came about that, you know, put me on the today show featuring my product. I mean, that that is huge. I mean, I would have never thought that. Hey, I'm going to be you know what I'm making is going to be featured on the on the Today Show. And the interesting is, Neiman Marcus mm-hmm. had contacted me two years earlier, and I was so busy, I had to tell them no. Um, and it was kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> and they, and I don't know if they they didn't appreciate that, but uh, you know, sometimes when people don't get what they want, they want to even more so. Exactly. So um, yeah, when they sure. had, uh, reached out to me again and said, you know, David, we really like to have you be a part of this. And I said, you know, sure. So, you know, that was really, really, you know, uh, when I look back on highlights doing that. But, you know, two summers ago, um, I was in the middle of Times Square with a, with an event for Samsung with a track uh, when it was called um, uh, Ditch the Whatever Camera. Um, and I'm like, here, I'm in the track. Times Square, it's the middle of summer. I mean, like these great things were like just happening because of these slot car tracks that we were creating here. Um, but, yeah. you know, you, there's there's a payoff, though, because 
the accolades are coming and you're, you know, the agencies are calling you now and the big names are there. Um, but then the, the time um, table gets smaller because they have a tighter thing mm-hmm. versus a private commission does. There's more flexibility mm-hmm. when you're dealing with an agency. They have certain criteria that they want to meet. It's a little bit more difficult. Not difficult because we can do anything they want. But I have to reel back in and say, okay, I have to listen to them. They have this vision. There's a creative director on that side who's, you know, we're going to be talking. And I've got to, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. respect what his vision is. But he also, we have to have a good working relationship. But um, Mm -hmm. those uh, those installations for those large companies and those names, it's 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 things no one can ever take away from me, no matter what happens now at this point. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean you said it, and and one of the the things speaking to that um, um, that really resonated with me me was was checking out out the painting coconut short by Audi. Right. So it was actually by the, well, um, you know, I guess the ad agency had to hire them out to kind of do this, this kind of a short documentary about um, the whole process and that sort of thing. And one part that really stood out to me was where you referenced your story of bringing your family to experience one of those unveilings, you know, the, the things that you were just talking about, you know, the, the things that ordinarily you just try and relay over the phone after the fact, you know, and, and I, I have, similar feelings of whenever I travel for the show and I have these amazing, amazing experiences with people and I try and put that into words so they can share in my excitement, but it, it, it really never works out to be honest. Right. Because like you said, it's, it's hard to put into words. And, and even if you do, it's, you have to be there. And <laughs> in, in, in one of the passages in that short, which is really great, really well done. And I actually see, I saw it one at Clio, which is yes. amazing, but what was great was that you you were talking about that and 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 during during I'm going to read a little passage and during this passage you were it was just an amazing shot of you and your daughter standing in front of the Audi installation at night in the city with like no one else around it was really kind of surreal and and you you had said and this is I'm quoting here those are the moments where she your daughter We'll be able to look back and say, hey, you know, this is what my dad was all about. He was a really cool dude, but it could be a real <laughs> prick. But, you know, he wasn't always happy. I saw him cry and he, and he shared these things in front of me. But he took me to these great places and experienced things. And I got to meet people I ordinarily wouldn't meet. And that to me was it really stood out. Um, you know, I'll just say it because obviously we're, we're talking right after Father's right. Day, right? So, <laughs> so for both of us, you know, the, the, the emotion is real. But, um, tell me, how has that vulnerability and that self awareness helped you with regards to your entrepreneurial ventures and your family life? Because it's like you know, it's really hard sometimes to justify how how 100% in we have to be with a company to make it work and still find the time especially early on to make sure that we're we're having a nice work life balance so you know kind of tell me about that a little well bit. with in you reading that passage kind of touched me a little bit uh kind of uh you know 
it, it warms my heart, but it, you know, it, it is, it, it is what I was feeling. It was what I was experiencing over, you know, quite a few of the early on installations, but, you know, from, you know, as far as the, the vulnerability and, you know, self-awareness of, of who I am and what I have to do uh, with the business um, and the balance with my family is that I do work long days. And when I'm not here, I really find myself and I had to work on was being present when I was home, no matter how tired mm-hmm. I was. Madeline was a young was a young lady at the time, young girl. So I still had to be dad and interact and be goofy, mm-hmm. but also listen. But and I would get up and drive her to school, or I'd come to work, then leave and go back and drive her to school, even though my wife was more than capable of. But I wanted her to have these moments of time with me where I was dad and laughing and, and sharing some things. So we, we, you know, and now she's 13 years old and we have a great relationship and, you know, she's That's the awesome. vice president of the company and, you know, that kind of stuff, but she doesn't want to do any work, but, um, right. you know, like most yes. VPs, <laughs> but for, in uh, what I think is important to realize is that, um, in being an entrepreneur and, and taking care of my family, those who work for me, I have to respect what they do because they put in long hours with me. And I believe they need to be taken mm-hmm. care of uh, financially and rewarded in ways that um, we, you know, when we go on the road, we do stay in nice places. We do eat the good food, you know, and, um, and I think it's their quality of life, which enhances my quality of life. It's a real fine balance because I believe they're happy and I'm happy. And uh, when I go home, my home life, I don't want to go home because, geez, I work with a bunch of assholes and I go home and I take it out of my family, you know, and people who listen to this are probably going to go, wow, I don't really know that Dave ever talked like this, you know, but, you know, in the real world, and I will tell you in the real world, these gentlemen and and such that are buying my tracks, they're straight shooters. They've licked, you know, I call it licking the earth. They they know what it's all about. And they, uh, a lot of these purchases in, in, in relating to my story is, you know, Dave, I bought a track from you because you're self-made and I respect that about you. And, you know, that goes as far as a client giving me a $15,000 tip. That's a lot Mm -hmm. of money. Um, you know, of course I came back and handed it over to the IRS because I had a tax bill due, but you know, (laughs) in in the scope of things, that credibility comes back to me is that I need to stay grounded, stay focused for my family, stay connected, mm-hmm. also stay connected with my employees and understand their needs and their personalities. Because anyone knows, even in a band, you've got all these personalities, these creative people. Mm-hmm. Within the walls mm-hmm. of slot mods, I have all these creative people. So, and I, I like I like that challenge of, you know, this guy's got a really, uh, not anal personality, but he's a certain way. So they're all like puzzles and pieces. And how do I make them all work together? And like this, and then we like, we keep mm-hmm. putting out hits, you know? So that's how I look at it, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. uh, um, so, you know, the, the vulnerability and the self-awareness has helped me, you know, um, create a better life for those around me, uh, beyond the financial mm-hmm. gains. It's not just all right. oh, the money's made me this great guy and everybody loves me. I, you know, I don't right. even know how many people love me or hate me. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I always tell my wife and, you know, Hey, you know, sure. I'll go out with your friends and they'll see that they're going to love me or they're going to hate me because I'm pretty straightforward yeah. and I don't have time to cut, yeah. you know, life's too short to, 
you know, uh, you know, we as as yourself, we're out in the world and we meet a lot of people, and not everyone's mm-hmm. nice. And you know, yeah. so you cherish those great relationships, uh, such as what we we're building, you know, through this conversation today. Mm-hmm. Well, you said it. I mean, it's um, it's it's really tough because, like you said, what what you did and do is so labor intensive and so easy to sit there and say, "Yeah, I'm going to you know, be working 12, 13 hours a day," but you you made good choices, you know, and and smart choices, like you said that that you made it a point to drive your kids to school, made it a point to to do all that kind of stuff, so that your daughter now at thirteen is you guys have an amazing relationship and that's that's awesome yeah. so we are getting to about an hour so uh i have a couple questions to go a little bit deep right um, i know you're like even deeper uh, so tell me what's the biggest risk you've taken in your career um the biggest risks that i've taken have probably been the coolest because they've gotten worldwide exposure. And that's when I uh, created the Porsche 917 car project that when you push a button, it opened up. It was a full size scale of car. And when you push the button, it opened up and revealed a miniature Lamar raceway. It was very, yeah. And so, and I built that on spec. So that's coming out of my pocket thinking that, this is so cool. I think it's so cool. It's my favorite car. You know, I love the movie Steve McQueen Lamar. And I said, I'm just going to do this. And I, I believe there's someone out there that's going to want to buy it. Um, so I would, there was that car. And I also built one on the tail end of it, which was a 1969 D28 Camaro steel body that I converted. It was the uh, Sunoco Camaro. Uh, Mark Donnie, who drove it in mm-hmm. uh, 71 uh, to the championship. And those were two projects that were big risk because I was spending my own money, like kind of a slot mods reserves. That's nice to have. And, uh, you know, because I, I, you know, I try to think about risks I take and things and, uh, you know, building things on spec is a big risk because that's a lot of, and it, yeah. you know, that could sit for a while. Um, I was very fortunate that once I showed like, here's the 917, you know, two days later, a guy called and said, I want it. And I said, well, Got to slow mm-hmm. down because Hamaker Schlemmer wants it on their cover of their Christmas catalog. Now that car went on to be featured in Sports Illustrated, um, yeah, wow. you know, um, Auto Week magazine, so in blogs all around the world and, and stuff. You know, I was in like Russia's Popular Mechanics, whatever that's <laughs> their their version of it. Yeah. So it, it gave yeah. me a lot of exposure. So you know that the nine seventeen was kind of like the pebble that I threw in the pond. And it really rippled, you know, outside of the States mm-hmm. and, and drew people into what is slot mods about and also um, brought about, uh, which I believe is um, how Audi kind of found me as well, the agency and said, hey, man, we got this <laughs> project to do. So I would have to say that the car projects were kind of like the, the biggest risk that I've taken in my career besides starting slot mods as you know mm-hmm. what's going to be yeah. my uh, you know yeah, pay my sure. bills for sure name your biggest fear creatively uh designing myself into a corner and what i mean by that is when we're i'm laying out tracks and and drawing on what the client wants i i fear that i'm going to get to where i'm like okay um i've laid out 
all these designs that fit within these footprints. And I want to, I don't want people to look at stuff and say, Oh, that looks like this, or that looks like that. I mean, yeah, racetracks are racetracks, but I always, my biggest fear is I'm going to be, you know, like get writer's block kind of thing. Like, Oh, what can I do? Because I do labor over it. I'll do sketches and this and that. And so my biggest fear would be kind of a creative block of, you know, what can I, it's not like, what can I do next to make everyone go wow and, you know, remain relevant um, because this next project we're going to put out um, is going to take us to another level. Um, And so I'm very, Mm -hmm. very excited about it. And I'm very scared. I've never felt, you know, the anxiety about it because the client said, David, you have free will. I'm basically, he said, I'm the client that's going to let you do what you want to do. So you get to prove to me in the world about what you guys can do. And my right now, my guys are laboring over the coolest shit, you know, and and it's going to be, it's going to take us to another level. um, And Mm -hmm. I will not have any trouble in justifying the price because what I'm building for him, he's getting more than he will ever expect it that I can charge dollars for. So my, my thing is, is more about, um, I don't want to become passe. I want to stay um, creative and have people still enjoy. And when they see these things, uh, they do see the little Easter eggs and stuff that we do in the detail and, you know, and, and pushing myself even further when I feel like, Oh, there's, you know, what more could I do here? Well, I could probably put 300 more cracks in the road. Okay, let's do it. It's monotonous. But when you're done and you look at it, it's like, Oh, that's badass. Um, so mm-hmm. it's the, the fear would be to go a little bit deeper for, you know, entrepreneurs out there or listening or people who, are thinking about getting into a business where you're, you're the business side of it as well as the creative side of it is to really keep that balance and don't let the business side, you know, squelch down the creative side because mm-hmm. that business side will burn you out faster than the creative side. Oh, yeah. So that yeah. would be, I guess that would be, you know, um, Jose, you're, you're making me think here, which is really good. <laughs> you know, the, the, the creative side, you know, my fear would be that the business side would burn me out. And I, I work mm-hmm. very hard on not letting that happen. And it, it yeah. what things people don't know about is, well, how does it, what is it, what can this guy do beyond what he does to get away from a hobby or something? But I have a, I have mm-hmm. a collection of over 30 vintage tabletop hockey games from the early sixties. Oh, wow. That, That's so yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. If there's any, would you still have a kind of, yeah. Hobby, so I know? have that and I love to play ping pong. I got a robot that I play against and you know, we, uh, I've got nice. my drums in the lobby. I've got an indoor nice. driving range for hitting golf balls. So there's these, and, and we have a go-kart that we race around out back and, you know, and people <laughs> say, gee, Dave, you have a lot of interest. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I need to, get out of my head and do these things. And, uh, you know, my right. wife's like, well, why don't you chill out? And I'm like, you know, uh, it's a way for me to, you know, um, just kind of still stay in, um, a youthful mindset and not just, yeah. um, you know, yeah. say, well, I collect cars. That's my passion. I have over 500 slot cars. Um, you know, do I have any race, real race cars yet? No, but all that'll come. I still have a lot of hard work to yeah. do. So for now, yeah. no, that's you know, yeah. Yeah. Nope. You said it. You have outlets. You have outlets, man. That's cool. <laughs> I'm coming. To, I'm coming to visit Michigan. Yeah, come on out. But what's crazy is one of the things, like you had said, uh, like I think as as cool as people think what you do is, 
you have to be realistic and like you like you said tell them that hey i still have the same blocks and the same hard times even when i'm getting paid you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to build stuff and it happens and one of the things i thought was really neat um being pretty open in 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 that documentary was you go sometimes i have a really hard time just starting with, with when it comes to like carving right and like carving out these mountains and all kind of stuff and it showed you like literally just staring at a big big block of of um foam and and literally you're like but man when i turn it on and i start carving stay the fuck out of my way you know and and i, and I was like that's for me because it's the same kind of thing it's like for writing and a lot of writing and that kind of thing, it's the same exact way. If I'm if I'm having trouble, I'm smart enough and self-aware enough to say, you know what, sitting here and getting frustrated isn't gonna help. So go for a walk, go for a bike ride, go see a movie, go do whatever, go play with your kids. Just go have some time doing something else. And then when you're ready, and it could be unfortunately for me, it could be from two to four in the morning, crank it out and get it right. done. You know, but but sometimes that's kind of what what has to happen. You know, you have to, and I, you alluded to it earlier and I meant to circle back on it was, um, how a lot of times when we start things, I, I think, and this is something to like attest to how many, how much failure really does kind of, uh, model us as entrepreneurs. But for me, how, how much life experience matters, Yes, you know, that you can say you've, you've done this, you've done that, even if you looking back and honestly look back and connect the dots, but even if you look, you say, okay, that had really nothing to do with slot mods or cars. Like, yeah, but it, it mattered. You know, it, it definitely affected what you ended up doing. So that's pretty neat and really important that some people I think kind of forget about sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Dave, name your most meaningful moment in your career thus far. Ah, meaningful moment. Well, uh, Boy, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think about, you know, <laughs> what that could be. I mean, meaningful would be, yeah. uh, boy, I, I think it, it kind of covers more than just one moment. Uh, the, the, the painting coconuts and, and having that video and that project come about and going to Toronto and being able to share that with my family was like a pinnacle of a, a meaningful moment, you know, meeting Jay Leno and being on the mm -hmm. Jay Leno, you know, Jay Leno's garage was meaningful. You know, um, the, the, the financial gains that I've made by doing something that I love to do and being able to take care of my family is, it's the most meaningful everlasting moment that I can mm -hmm. really say that I enjoy. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Jose, it's hard to say that that one meaningful uh, moment mm -hmm. and, 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 and I had those moments whenever these people, when I get commissioned, attract commissioned, that's a meaningful moment for me because these people believe in me and they want something that I mm -hmm. have created that's coming out of my head. And, and that speaks volumes, um, to me, um, that and it, it gives me this kind of credibility because we're all kind of looking we're all like puppies in a box, you know, we're all kind of jumping out and, Hey, Hey, look at me, you know, and stuff like that, <laughs> you know, especially coming from a family of 11. Um, so, oh, geez, yeah. so to, you are, you are part of, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, there, there are those meaningful moments, um, where, um, you know, people have stepped up to help me in these times during the course with a business, but, um, you know, the loan that helped me get out to Pebble beach and just, 
you know, the most recent um, commission that I've got that, you know, I think is going to be a tremendous, um, you know, uh, right now I'm involved in a project, which is fantastic uh, with the painted turtle out in Los Angeles that works with seriously ill children, but it's a foundation. Um, Paul Newman was one of the original of the foundation. And that's mm. just some really, and it warms my heart because I can do something for these, these kids and um, which will help them. And so there's those kinds of things. And some of the me- meaningful moments that I've done, and I don't mean to ramble on, have been like mm. really small moments where I've given um a child, a track in a box, you know, one of my competitors, let's just say they're not even competitors because we're in different worlds, but you know, just this past Christmas, I gave away 30, um, Carrera sets to underprivileged kids oh, wow. and nobody knows. I mean, now they know about it, but nobody knows about it. So I do a lot of those kinds of things. So, um, the most meaningful moment would be my wife believing in me and standing behind me. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, because like you said, it wasn't easy her making the decision that she did, you know, because like you said, it was, it was, uh, you know, going to school to become a doctor and that sort of thing. And that was, for her, it was a a big decision. And um, I think for me, for losing my job and and having that happen was, was a similar kind of shift within uh, me and Jessica's relationship in that suddenly it went from me being when we met the breadwinner to her being the breadwinner right and that that shift and that saying okay you know uh things are going to change and it's not going to be easy um but at the same time like you said she believed in me and that's all it takes sometimes mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm So this is going to be a funny one, <laughs> seeing how you, how you relax. What's the biggest regret in your career? Uh, not starting out 20 years ago when I was a younger man. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's true. But, a lot of people say that, you know, like not, not starting earlier. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, boy, I guess a, a regret would have been being a better student or knowing more about business. Um, but not knowing about business, I think freed me as being an entrepreneur that I felt that anything was possible. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, that, um, ah, you know, (laughs) I mean, there's regrets that, you know, I had, but in the business world, I I, I guess it would just be that I wish I would have learned more about the, the aspects of running a business because I had to learn a Mm -hmm. lot while I was you know, the, while the company was ramping up on the creative side and the and the and the purchases were coming in, there was the backside of how a business actually works. And I mm-hmm. guess my my regret would have been not having that proper sc- business schooling and such. But you know, some people. But you know, now I pay people to take care of that business mm-hmm. stuff that I didn't understand. But uh, so there's been a learning lesson there. So um, you know, so regrets. Uh, yeah, I've had a few, you know, when you love and lost like Frank, you know, <laughs> but that's just my Frank Sinatra <laughs> thing, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, that's my that's what my wife says when I'll I'll come home with some sob story about something that really doesn't matter. And then she'll say, Well, yeah. when you love and lost like Frank, you know, and uh, <laughs> uh um so you know, you know, cause you're saying regrets and one of my favorite songs is My Way, because you mm-hmm. know, um I do things my way and some, it can turn some people off that have to deal with me. Um, but I feel when, you know, I've got my nose to the grindstone 
and I'm doing this work and I may ask you, you know, I subcontract something out and you bring me something that is less than what I've asked for, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. So, mm-hmm. you know, that do it my way. My, my daughter's like, dad, that's the, the death song. I said, no, you got to listen to Frank. You know, he's, he's really talking yeah. about, yeah, yeah. The end is near, but you know, remove some of those words. And that's kind of my, my mantra of like just doing it my way. And, you know, listening to people and, um, you know, the, that yes, regrets I've had a few, but um, yeah, it's yeah. all about the learning process, and um, I'm always willing to learn and 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 to listen. Right, right. And I, I mean, one thing, one thing, thing like, like you mentioned, you mentioned that, uh, that uh, a, a lot of a lot of people, people say say is that, is that they're all learning experiences, so you can't really regret them. But at the same time, um, you know, you also can sit there and say, well, you know what. The, the the things that just maybe like I shit the bed or like, you know, like things that just didn't work out in the end, it evens out. Yeah. You know, cause then, then you learn from it and then you pivot and you make, you don't make that mistake again. Then you make, then you, then you hit it out of the park and, and then you kind of just evens out like anything else. So, uh, coming up on the last deep one and then we'll pretty much be wrapping up. So Dave, if you couldn't share your work with anyone, not your wife, not your daughter, would you still create your art? Yes, because I was doing it before I started the company. So that yeah. was, you know, I would still, I mean, not at the level that we're doing here, but I would still be down right. in my basement tinkering and improving and, you know, wiring up little red lights behind the back of the slot car wheel so it looks like the brakes are on fire, you know, as they're coming oh in. Oh my God. So those are kinds of things that cool. I did before I even thought about, you know, making the business. So, you know, to answer your question, absolutely. I would, I would still That's be great. doing it. That's great. So listen, thank you, Dave, for taking the time out today. And I know we had little hurdles in the beginning, but we, we fought through them sure. and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad we, we were able to, to chat. And um, so where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Um, well, they can check out the website at www.slotmods.com. We're also on Instagram, you know, um, slot-mods-usa um, and also on Facebook. And uh, Instagram, we're kind of I'm putting more content on there. Um, but, yeah, between those three platforms and then as well as on, um, if you go to YouTube, you know, Slot Mods channel. Um, we're there as well. So, and, uh, and your local magazines. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice, nice. Yes. So, uh, all right. Well, listen, Dave, thank you again for taking the time out. And uh, last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Well, I get, you know, right off the top of my head, there was a gentleman who was in painting coconuts with me, um, Ali Naya. Mm-hmm. And he was the gentleman who was figuring out all the iPad um, strategy in the cars. Yeah, that was and, great. And, and Ali and I really bonded because we were, you know, we were up against a really tight deadline and, you know, what they were asking us about. And uh, the guy's a genius, you know, and he has gone on now and uh, he's uh, up in Vancouver, but he is kind of in, uh, it's called Renacon, but it's, he's an entrepreneur. And the, and the reason I bring it up is because he went from what he was doing to starting this business that is about customization, interior design. And it's kind of a different direction, but yeah. it's, it's very still, it's high end. And he's, he's just such a, 
a smart guy. And I think that if people could hear his story because of him tearing apart radios when he was a little kid, you know, then he's doing writing software programs and, you know, writing programs where, you know, a, a car can go around a slot car track and he knows that in these turns they need to slow down. So he writes the program to when he gets, he knows the speed. So I think uh-huh. Ali Naya would be, you know, it's I call him Ali Naya, but it's Ali Hasengina, um, would be a, a gentleman that I think people would get a kick out of. A great guy, great personality, and I, I know you'd get along with him well. Um, you know, uh-huh. and then of course there's Tamir Moscovici, who was the director of Painting Coconuts, because um, that guy, okay. that guy drew the story out of me when he came here. I had done two um reality tv pilots i had nothing to do with and they were saying they were sending this director down and i'm like i don't give a shit i'm not shaving i just got work to do and <laughs> him and i are best of friends and he is he that's is great. hitting home runs um with everything he does right now that's awesome so, all right definitely yeah. definitely we'll be in touch and and uh, if you can give a, a warm intro it always helps and that sort of thing i can and, do that and we'll definitely see by having him on jose well thank you very much thank you Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, catch up soon. Maybe you'll see me in Michigan sometime soon. That'd be fantastic. All right. Take care, Dave. Thank you. Bye. Bye.